This is the Calvary Bible Church Podcast. Thanks for listening in today. We're praying this message encourages you. Learn more about Calvary and join us online each Sunday for services at calvarybible.com. Hi, Calvary. I'm Perry. It's great that we can continue to worship together today. Hope you had a great Christmas, and I want to say Happy New Year as well. This is that time of year where we tend to be more reflective and evaluate different areas of our life. We might think about our finances, our relationships, our health, our diet. And in all of these things, we might wonder, what kind of goals should we set for the coming year? If we're going to examine any area of our life, we ought to include our faith in that examination. Yeah, I've been thinking about the expression, seeing is believing, and just wondering what kinds of things will we see this next year? If anything, the past couple years have taught us that we don't know what we will see. We don't know what to expect at all. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul says that we are a people who live by faith and not by sight. But even so, we can't help but be influenced by the things that we see in our lives. Just a good, good magician will show us that we can't believe everything that we see. But on the other hand, a really good magician will also show us how hard it is to not believe the things that we see. So how do we see in a way that is faithful? How do we see clearly so that we know the things going on around us are being seen from the right perspective? Well, the, today we're going to look in our Bible at Psalm 73. So if you have your Bible or your device, I'd invite you to open it or go ahead and scroll there. We're going to learn from a man named Asaph. Asaph is from the tribe of Levi. He's serving alongside of King David at the tabernacle. Asaph is probably a, a choir director. So he's a person who's on stage and up in front helping others engage in worship. But today we get to sit at Asaph's feet for a few minutes and learn from him about an experience that he had in his own life that's related to even our lives today and especially right now at this moment as we enter into a new year where we don't know what kinds of things we might see. So let's open up to Psalm 73 and here's what Asaph has to say to us. He says, truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Now, this seems just like the kind of expression that you would hear from somebody who's a faith leader in Israel. You would expect this kind of routine statement, something that maybe could even be spoken without really even thinking about it, because it just seems so expected. But as we keep reading, we're going to see how these words were actually a conclusion that Asaph had arrived at after a crisis. What is that crisis? Well, he says in verse two, but as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. A life of faith in scripture is presented oftentimes as a journey. It's a journey along a narrow path where the ground underneath us is uncertain and our steps can be kind of dicey. Asaph is in that place. He's describing this in his past and he says, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Asaph's eyes had led him into a place of envy. So if God is good to those who are pure in heart, Asaph has a problem because his heart is full of envy. What was he envious about? He's envious about the arrogant and the wicked. 
He describes them in the coming verses. We're not going to read all of these, but in verses 4 through 12, he describes what he saw with his eyes. He says, For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. Hey, thinking about a New Year's resolution, go to the gym and ask them for the program that leads to a fat and sleek body. See what they say. He says, They are not in trouble as others are. They're not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace and violence covers them as a garment. And as he goes on, he talks about their follies, how they scoff, they speak with malice, they threaten oppression against others. Not only that, but they speak out against God. They say that, therefore, his people turn back and they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? That's verse 11. But then he summarizes in verse 12 by saying, behold, these are the wicked always at ease, they increase in riches. So what Asaph sees with his eyes is that these wicked people around him are in, are people who he now envies because he sees that they have well-fed bodies, they have well-manicured lawns, they have well-funded retirement accounts, and all the while in this prosperity, they have made a hard decision against God. They have no need or desire to follow God, to inconvenience themselves with a life of faithfulness. But meanwhile, Asaph looks at his own life and he sees a decision that has not paid off, a decision of his faith in God. He says this in verse 13. He says, All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. Asaph looks back and he says, My faith was a waste. What good did it do? The wicked, the evil, the arrogant, they are the ones who got ahead. Asaph is keeping score in life and he's seeing that he's behind. Not only that, but as he looks to God, he says he sees that God is like a stingy provider of goods and services. Asaph's life has cost him as he's been faithful to God. He's been faced with being stricken and rebuked every morning. We don't know all of the details there, but in, for some way, it's cost Asaph to be faithful to God. But this is a private struggle because Asaph is a man on stage. Asaph is a man who you might find in front of the camera. He knows that he can't speak up. To put it more cynically, we might say that his paycheck depends on him being quiet about the struggle that he's having inside. Now, as we think about Asaph's struggle, we may not be able to relate exactly to his own concern and envy that he's dealing with. But we don't know what's in front of us with this new year. We don't know the kinds of things that we might see as we look around. Maybe this year will bring some kind of issue related to our health, related to our finances, related to our relationships in some way. Maybe this this year will bring something where we, we look around at our society and our culture and we see such upheaval, we see such trouble and strife, and we wonder, where is God? Surely the life of faith should be paying off for us more than it is. Asaph is in that place of wondering if it's not just all a waste. And maybe, maybe we'll find ourselves in a place like that if we're not careful as well. So what do we do when this is the only perspective we have? What we see is that not everything that we see is worth believing. 
That's where ASAP is about to go next. What we need more than anything is a change in perspective. My wife and I have been to some spectacular performances, spectacular games, spectacular concerts before. And in those cases, we've often had some seats that were less than spectacular. We're often high up, sometimes even behind a column or some obstruction, so that we have to just believe and assume that there's a great performance going on on the other side. Of course, the simple solution for us would be to buy our tickets earlier or to pay more money for better seats. ASAP, though, is about to have a change in perspective. And the good news is it doesn't cost him anything. And he doesn't even have to walk far to get there. But here's where he goes. He says this in verse 16. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. Asaph now has gone into the sanctuary, the place of God's presence, and he now knows a different thing than he knew before. The sanctuary of God being the place of God's presence is where our perspective can shift, where we can begin to see our lives in a totally different way. And Asaph says right here, then I discerned their end. And he's about to describe in the rest of this psalm how he sees differently now, now that he's been in God's presence. He said, truly you set them, these people who he used to be arrogant or envy towards rather, the arrogant, truly you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. Earlier, Asaph has said that he was in a slippery place. Now he sees that in fact, it's the arrogant and the wicked who are in that slippery place. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by tears. Like a dream when one awakes, O oh Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. Their life that looks so stable, so desirous, is in fact in very perilous state. That their life, their threats against Asaph and others like him are nothing more than like a bad dream that we might wake up from that will be immediately over. That's the true condition of their life. But as Asaph goes on, this newfound perspective is something that also has shifts, shifted his view of God's relationship with him in his past, in his present, and even in his future. He says this in verse 21, When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. Another word for ignorant there is just the word stupid. Asaph says that beforehand, when I was envious, I realize now that I was like a stupid, unrational, unable to reason animal. That's the condition that I was in. But now he can see, verse 23, nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. Asaph had to go in the sanctuary, a place where he could not see the world around him to be reminded that God's presence is not confined to the sanctuary. God's presence is with him wherever he goes. And now he sees not only in the present moment, but in the future, he says, afterward, you will receive me to glory. What changed in Asaph's world? Did the wicked suddenly change? We have no indication of that. It's not like their bodies certainly were not well fed. It's not like their lawns suddenly turned brown or their bank accounts suddenly ran out of money. No, they, they conceivably just were in the same condition as they were before. Nothing had changed with that. 
Had God changed in some way? No, no, no. We, we trust that God is unchanging. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 6, we just saw that in our recent series, that God's character is never changing whatsoever. So we know that, that God did not change as well, but what did change was Asaph's perspective. And what we see here is that the, the clearest view of life comes from pursuing the presence of God. Asaph entered into that presence, and it revolutionized everything that he saw around him. And nowhere is that more evident than in what comes next. He says this in this remarkable verse, in verse 25. He says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. And then in 26, he says, My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. God is good to the pure in heart. The Danish philosopher and theologian Soren Kierkegaard said that purity of heart is to will or to want one thing. And we see now that Asaph's heart is longing after one thing. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. That's the transformation that happened inside of him when he began to see from God's perspective. Not only that, but his faith is far more resilient now than it once was, where he's able to say, my flesh and my heart may fail, my life may just be turned completely upside down, but I trust that God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. That's the resilient kind of faith that I hope we all have in this coming year. A kind of faith that can withstand the ups and downs that life may throw at us. A kind of faith that is fueled by a pure heart. A heart that longs for one thing and finds the treasure that it needs in Christ. The Apostle Paul said something similar to this in Philippians 3.8, where he said, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Where did this purity of heart come from? The purity of heart that Asaph had and that the Apostle Paul reflects as well comes from a pursuit of God's presence. That's what we need in our lives. And we know, again, from our recent series in Hebrews, how God's presence has been opened up to us because of the work of Jesus. The author of Hebrews says this in chapter 10, verses 19 through 22. He says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. The presence of God has been opened up by Jesus in a way that Asaph could only imagine. And we have that opportunity to enter into his presence. How do we do that? How do we enter into the sanctuary? Well, it can mean a number of different things in our life, but at Calvary, we really hope that our weekend services are a sanctuary for us. But even more than that, or as much as that, we hope that our other ministry areas do that as well, that we enter into God's presence as well in our life groups, in our classes, in all of the different ministry areas that we have. I pray as well that as you open God's word this year on your own and as you, as you come before him in prayer, that you too would find that you are entering into God's presence in a way that completely revolutionizes the way that you see the world. Asaph says here at the end, For behold, those who are far away from you shall perish. 
You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But that's not true for the ones who are near, to the ones who are near God. But as for me, it is good to be near him. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. This is the difference that it makes when we pursue the presence of God. When we are near God, it changes the way we see the world so that we might see in a way that helps us believe what is actually true. How will you pursue God's presence this year? Let's pray. Father, we just lift up this year before you. We lay it, God, before you in a way where we we want our time and our energy and our attention to be focused on you. I pray, God, that you would speak to us in those moments and in those places, that you would give us a new perspective. Lord, help us to see with eyes of faith. Help us to see that your presence is where we see in a way that's worth believing. God, we do not do this in our own strength. We do this in the strength that you give us. So I pray, Lord, that we would experience that strength, that we would experience your presence, and that our hearts would be pure, knowing that you are good to those who are pure in heart. We ask all of this in your powerful and mighty name. Amen. So may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. But in the words of the psalm, or the perspective of the psalm, may we recognize that the love of God is with us wherever we go as we pursue God's presence. And may we experience that presence in such a way that we can say alongside Asaph, whom do we have in heaven but you, Lord? And there's nothing on earth that we desire but you. Go in peace.